This is Fresh Matters, and I am Papa Kwesi Endong. Many people in the world, many researchers, have studied entrepreneurship, the rise and successes or failures of businesses, and the growth of multinational companies across the globe. But the overwhelming number of these studies have concentrated on the United Kingdom, Europe, Asia, and the Americas, the continent that is rarely seen and studied is Africa. You know, you, you look at Korea, or I should say South Korea, and a number of researchers have studied how South Korea, in less than one generation, has been able to develop a private sector strong enough to give birth to successful conglomerates. So brands such as Samsung and others are visible and well-known globally. And there, there is always a positive link that is made between the positive actions of government and the successes in the private sector. That is, the actions of government to boost the prospects of specifically targeted companies to create a market for them domestically in South Korea and also to help push them, push them far into the global market. But the African continent rarely shows up, and there are, there are many, many, many reasons for this. So when you look for global conglomerates, global brands, you can't find any African company on the list. And here is a continent that has the majority of its population afflicted with the negative consequences of high unemployment. High unemployment where the majority of the population is under 18 years old, And that population tends also not to have high formal education. Indeed, most don't get to, to acquire high school education. And the number of people, a number of people um, do this link the link between 
a youthful population, low levels of education, high levels of unemployment, and poverty in all of its forms. So how can conglomerates develop in such an environment? But many people lay the blame squarely at the doorstep of African government administrations and they are politically motivated policies and practices that stunt the growth of segments of the private sector they consider to be sympathizers of the opposition. So a direct link is also then made between politics and the inability of indigenous small businesses to grow and become conglomerates in Africa. And we read, we, 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 we hear many of these African government administrations look for, talk about tax revenues, looking for resources for development. But they don't seem to understand that when they stand in the way and prevent businesses in the private sector from growing, from becoming big, from becoming prosperous, that they constrain the ability of the system that they are in to provide for tax revenues, other kinds of resources that would enable the population to become better educated, for jobs to be created, and for prosperity to become widely available. And so I think it's important that we understand that the value carried by conglomerates ensure that the benefits rub off on their countries of origin and their people. So one can stand somewhere in Africa and say that, well, but there's a conglomerate sitting in the United Kingdom or in the Netherlands or in Asia somewhere and what they do would benefit us sitting in Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, or somewhere else in Africa. There needs to be indigenous enterprises that are encouraged, supported, pushed to grow, and where they have problems to resolve those problems where issues arise to make sure that they are prevailed upon to address those issues so that those who the right, do the right things can grow, can develop, can become bigger, can become indeed conglomerates if they so work for it. And as a consequence, provide the jobs at home 
at home that is needed by the millions and millions and millions of young people that are growing up. And so, you know, there are certain things that have become almost like fetish or people keep dealing with this. It's almost as if political actors and actresses have discovered certain things that they throw at people. And all of a sudden you hear about governance practices. You hear about the negative effects of affiliates or related parties. It is almost as if those two words, related parties, um, must be something negative. Related parties, by necessity, a related party is one, one that has been given birth by someone that has an interest in it. And so if there are multiple related parties, we also ought to think that though these multiple parties can, and in many cases do tend to help that party to grow and to develop. But in, 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 a, in, in, in the African context, some people would look like, they will look at somebody, a man or a woman, and say, well, she's, how many companies does she control? How many people does he employ? Oh, so they are into restaurants, media, manufacturing, how can they be into all of these things? And people never bother to, 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 to stand long enough, read long enough, do research long enough to understand that the relationships can provide something very, very positive and can lead to growth. And so, if I were to use a Ghanaian example, well, we have the Ghana Revenue Authority. We have the Social Security and Insurance Trusts. We have a number of different regulators who know that because of COVID and all manner of other global activities, negative activities going on, shortage of raw materials, and inability to ship products from here to there, that indeed many companies are facing severe cash flow difficulties. And yet they would want to go and lock doors, take people to court, disrupt their activities, and demand, pay me huge sums of money now. If not, close down the company collapse it, let it go away. They would rather do that than find solutions that would enable the companies to exist while they take time
to deal with all of these global problems that have surfaced. And yet, on the other hand, you find governments blaming some of their inadequacies on the global scene, on COVID, on all sorts of other things. So let's understand what a conglomerate is. And quite simply, if you go and, and, and go through the internet, you would find a definition, and one definition that says a conglomerate is a corporation that is made up of a number of different, sometimes unrelated businesses. But in a conglomerate, one company owns a controlling stake in a number of smaller companies, all of whom conduct businesses or conduct business separately and independently. And so to define it further, a conglomerate is a group of entities, particularly companies, put together to form one. Therefore, if a group or an individual starts a TV network, a record company, a newspaper, and a radio station, the resulting organization can be called a media conglomerate. And sure, there are some conglomerates in Ghana, in Nigeria, in Cote d'Ivoire, in South Africa. They are just not significant enough. And they're just not big enough to provide the, the scope, the scope and the bulk of employment opportunities that's needed by the young people in Africa. So in the world, many people know the brands, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, they are called a conglomerate by many due to their large-scale diversification from their core business. And for example, for example, Amazon got its start by delivering books. Many people don't know that. But Amazon now does many things, many, many different things. So no conglomerate founded in Africa is included in the list of the biggest global conglomerates. But, well, just for curiosity's sake, which conglomerate company is known to be on top of the lists of the biggest global conglomerates? It's a company called Danaher. Danaher. Danaher spelled D-A-N-A-H-E-R. It, it, it topped the 2021 ranking of conglomerates with the highest market value worldwide. And it beats major players that are well known, like Honeywell International, like 3M, like Siemens, but it is a company, Danaher, it's a company with affiliates 
or related parties that design, manufacture, and market professional, medical, industrial, and commercial products and services. It's a worldwide company in 60 countries, 60 countries. But you know, that company has not always been known for excellence. Indeed, it became, it, it, it started in 1969 as a real estate investment trust. But it grew and it grew towards the 1980s when after it had acquired a number of different enterprises, it adopted what was what has been known as lean manufacturing principles. And from then on, um, it grew, it became better at customer service, and look at where they are today. So it's important to point out to Ghanaian, Nigerian, Ivorian, Liberian, Ugandan, Ethiopian, other African authorities that it is possible for a company that has a poor customer service reputation or maybe unprofitable for a period today to rise, overcome their difficulties, become profitable, become great at customer service, grow, become big, and become a globally recognized enterprise. And in, in, in the news recently, we have also seen conglomerates, ones that we have come to know worldwide, like General Electric or GE, or Johnson & Johnson, or Toshiba. Toshiba is splitting into three companies. GE is splitting into three companies. Johnson & Johnson is splitting into two companies. Uh, so these things, there's an evolution. The companies evolve. They grow. They learn lessons. Those who, even after they have grown very big, recognize their difficulties or cumbersomeness or whatever, they do transform themselves. So it's important that African governments give space, give opportunity, allow people to learn, to grow. And so those who remain static, rely on past successes, they do fade away. They do, they do fade away. And quite often you go to a number of different African countries and you see energy companies, energy companies. And you find that the energy companies in those countries are either state-owned or government-controlled or foreign-owned or controlled. That's the case in Ghana. You'll find some in Angola. 
you have examples in South, Af South Africa. You would find in, in, in Ghana, for example, a number of the banks now, after a certain process that, 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 that has been championed um, by present administration, that many of the banks that remain are either foreign-owned or government-owned or controlled. Now, where in the world would you find government-owned or state enterprises growing to become conglomerates? Even China today, many of the companies that we, we have come to know recently have not been state-owned, but they have been private, private sector owned and they've been doing well. So then, to give another American example, well, Berkshire Hathaway is an American conglomerate. Everybody has heard about the American billionaire, Warren Buffett. That one company employs about 400,000 people with subsidiaries in many areas of industry, property and casualty insurance, utilities, restaurants, food processing, aerospace, real estate, media, railroad, automotive, consumer products in the internet, business, and so on and so forth. If Warren Buffett was in Africa somewhere, somebody would look at him and said, ah, bye. Why? One man? Why should we allow one man to be in all those areas? And we wouldn't see a Berkshire Hathaway as it is anywhere in Africa. Or take a look at Walmart. Walmart is actually the world's largest, largest company by revenue. Almost 600 billion in revenue. But it was founded and developed by one person, an individual called Sam Walton. Sam Walton, today, his descendants, owned over 50% of this company. And this company is probably the largest private employer in the world with 2.2 million employees. 2.2 million. And Walmart operates in Canada, the UK, Central America, South America, China, Germany, Japan, South Korea. Again, in Africa, Sam Walton would have been considered too ambitious and his wealth too much for one man. And state actors and actresses would have moved to find something wrong with his operation in order to cut him down to size. 
And since I'm talking about wealth, personal wealth, well, take a look at the lists, the list of the richest people in the world. Elon Musk, 202 billion, the Bernard, Bernard Arnold family, 174 billion, Bill Gates, 131 billion, Larry Ellison, 123 billion, Larry Page, 119 billion, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, 118 billion, Sergey Brin, 115 billion, and Warren Buffett, 103 billion. Where is the African on this list? None. None. No one African on that list. And then when you look at the African lists, the African lists of the richest people in Africa, look at where they come from. Alikodangote, Nigeria. Nasser Sawiris, Egypt. Nikki Oppenheimer and the family, South Africa. Johan Rupert and family, South Africa. Mike Adoniga, Nigeria. Abul Samad Rabiu, Nigeria. Isad Rabab, Rabrab and family, Algeria. Nathan Kirsch Eswatini. Naguib Sawiris, Egypt. Kuz Becker, South Africa. Patrice Mochepi, South Africa. Mohammed Mansour, Egypt. Aziz Akonushin family, Morocco. What about the rest? So you see South Africa, South Africa, Egypt, Egypt, Nigeria, Nigeria. There you go. What about the rest? What about Ghana? What about Cote d'Ivoire? What about Uganda? What about Kenya? And so on and so forth. Why don't they show up? Why don't they show up? You know, in Ghana, there's this football saying that if, if people are playing soccer, that instead of the ball going into the goal, let it go for a corner kick. And in business and in politics, it's like, okay, if it is going to go um, to Kofi or Abba, no, it shouldn't go to Kofi or Abba. Let it go to the state. So quite often, they'll rather grab something and give it to the government or to the state instead of giving that opportunity or that asset to the individual. So we kill ourselves. We kill ourselves. And so, yes, there are a lot of family businesses in Africa, but not many conglomerates. And only a handful of these businesses enjoy longevity. And the survival rate of most African family businesses beyond the founder's generation 
is extremely low. Extremely low. Many people will remember Moshud Abiola. Moshud Abiola, the late Moshud Abiola, Nigerian, at some point was believed to be one of the wealthiest men in Africa. He had built one of Nigeria's biggest business empires, an airline, chain of newspapers, extensive real estate, fisheries, and retail. He died in 1998, and his businesses crumbled. None of those businesses exist today. A number of African businesses have tried to, to conquer new markets, to go from one country in Africa to another country in Africa. And some have even tried to go across the ocean, across the ocean, to the United Kingdom, to the United States, to Europe, to Asia. But many go and quickly come back. Many go and fail. Many go and find that there is no support. And so today, big European and American multinationals still dominate inside the African continent itself. But on the other hand, where are the Africans going somewhere else? They aren't. Who's going to push them and support them when they get there? In some of my research, I found that one man, for example, George Grant, who is known as Pa Grant in Ghana, at some point, Yes, he was a timber merchant, and he had, he had business interests in Europe. And I'm sure there have been a number of others. Today, you'd find a couple of Nigerian banks in London. How are they doing? We need to find out. Are they going to become big there? And the Nigerian businesses are the ones who have done better, Nigerian and South African. So when you hear MTN, MTN is of South African origin, doing very well in Ghana. It's in, it's in Cote d'Ivoire, it's in, it's in Liberia. It's of South African origin. Old Mutual have, has, has moved from South Africa to other parts of Africa in insurance. APSA has moved from South Africa to Ghana and some other places in Africa. And, and Nigerian banks have gone from Nigeria to Togo, to Benin, to Ghana, to Liberia, and a few other places. But it's not many, it's not many. So Ethiopian Airlines flies to America and flies to a number of countries in Africa, but that's it. There aren't too many that come from Ghana and fly to Kenya. 
or to Uganda or to South Africa any longer. So we do have problems, but the problems can be solved if we understand, if we understand why we have those problems. So once again, let me repeat that wealth in Africa is concentrated in a few countries and within those in a few families. But they are not becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So Nigeria, Egypt, and South Africa are the wealthiest countries. And it's not by accident. But they also have the largest gross domestic products, products in Africa, and they count, they, they count the highest number of high net worth individuals. So I pray that someone like Dangote, that he will continue to grow his businesses and to put stakes on the ground, not just in Africa, but in other parts of the world. Uh, go public some more so that the company can continue to exist from one generation to another. So we must deal with the issues of government interference, the difficulties people have in gaining support locally, in making sure that they, they exist, that they grow locally and get support from the state when necessary to solve problems, but also to be pushed and helped to go to wherever they need to go and become important, become big, become conglomerates, provide jobs to the thousands and thousands of young people growing up in Africa that today are unemployed and could one day represent a threat to the societies in Africa. This has been Fresh Matters and I am Papa Kwesi Endome.